Let's pray, shall we, as we spend some time in God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we stop to reflect now upon prayer, we ask that you would give each one of us a fresh start. Father, for those who pray and pray well, thank you for them. Thank you for the blessing that they are to all of us. For those of us for whom prayer is but a distant memory, would today rekindle our love for you, our recognition of your love for us, and so our desire to pray. Father, make us a praying church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, prayer is a universal practice. You can look through history, you can look through geography, you can consider whatever culture you like, and you will inevitably find prayer. It takes all sorts of different forms as you look through history, but you will find prayer. You, you can go back thousands of years and go to those ancient civilizations. You can go to the Incas or whatever over in South America, and their form of prayer was usually attached to ritual human sacrifice. So that, that's a form of prayer that most of us don't practice anymore. Um, you, you can go through the various monastic forms of ritual chanting where we all get together and repeat mantras over and over again. You can go and look at some of the more mystical experiences these days that involve particular forms of meditation where prayer almost becomes the thought pattern and connecting your energy to the energy of the universe. You can go and find those for whom prayer is a, an emotional thing where you have to build yourself up into fervor and passion to be able to connect with the spiritual. Or perhaps you walked in this morning to an Anglican church and prayer often involves liturgy and saying written prayers together, whatever it is. Even, I think, the agnostic who doesn't know if there's a God out there, and dare I say it, the atheist, when the chips are down, they will find themselves hoping that there's somebody out there who can hear and who can answer. Our time and our culture, of course, are no exception, right? Prayer is everywhere. I thought I'd, I'd just do a quick little cultural search for a moment and go and find songs that include the word prayer. Uh, there's a website called lyrics.com. You can go and search for whatever words you want. And I just searched the word prayer. I didn't search pray or prayed or praying or just the one form. And it returned 1,332 pages of songs. Just the first page included artists such as, and you might know these songs that include the word prayer, Madonna, Aretha Franklin, Meatloaf, Bon Jovi, the Bee Gees, and of course that well-known band, the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> that is a band. No, don't look them up. Prayer is a universal practice, I think, born out of humanity's experience of God. It's, it's a natural activity, if I can put it that way. It's born out of the fact that we are needy, and God is willing to act. You think for a moment about the very beginning of humanity. As Adam and Eve entered into this new relationship with God, a broken relationship, what's the first thing that God did? He helped them. He, he made clothes for Adam and Eve, even as he was casting him out of the garden. God, from the beginning, is a God who has helped humanity. And humanity has needed God, and so... We pray. Now again, like we saw last week though, the sin in our world means that more often than not, humanity left alone, we get prayer wrong. Do you remember last week as Joe took us through worship? We're talking about our fresh start individually and in church life. 
Worship, it's very possible to wrongly worship the right thing, to wrongly worship God. And it's possible to worship the wrong thing. Do you remember that from last week? You can get it wrong two ways. Prayer is exactly the same. We might well pray to the wrong thing completely, or we might pray wrongly to the right thing. And what I want this morning is to reorient our prayer, to learn from God how we ought to pray and why we ought to pray and what we ought to pray for and who it is that we ought to pray to. All right, so here's where we're going. We want to talk about the who. Who's, who do we pray to and who is doing the praying? I want to talk about the why. Why should we pray? And I want to talk about the what. What is it that we pray? What content should our prayers have? That's where we're going. I want to start with the who. You have to have a right view of God and of yourself in order to pray rightly. Who you think you are praying to determines how you pray. The, the, the best example that came to my mind was from 1 Kings chapter 18. Look it up. Come back to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you've got your own Bible, if you've got a pew Bible, uh, it'll be roughly the same place. 1 Kings usually comes in the same order of books. 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, page 310 in the pew Bibles. There you go. I shouldn't tell you. You look it up. It's good for you. As Elijah is having a contest with these prophets of a false god these prophets of Baal. And how these prophets pray tells you something about their God. They have the wrong God, therefore they pray wrongly. It's just a fascinating story, but come down to 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 26. So these prophets of Baal took the bull that he gave them. They prepared it and they called on the name of the Baal, how? From morning until noon saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. So what did they do? Well, they started dancing around the altar they had made. Yoo-hoo, right? Hey, we're here, hello. Come down to verse 28. Well, actually, go from verse 27. There's a good little jive there at noon. Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly. He's a God, maybe he's thinking it over, maybe he's wandered away, maybe he's on the road, perhaps he's sleeping and you'll wake him up. So what did they do? They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered No one paid attention. Who your God is determines how you pray. Baal was a busy God, a distant God. He had lots of other people to attend to. If you wanted to pray to Baal, well, it seems like you have to get his attention before he'll even hear you. You end up cutting yourself and making an absolute fool in order to try and somehow get your noise above the noise of everyone else who's praying, hoping that your God might hear you. And it's exactly true of whatever God it is that you pray to. Who your God is determines how you pray. If your God is a force in the universe, then what you end up doing is trying to attune your force to the force of that God. If your God is an angry God, then you spend your prayer time in fear and trembling, trying to get it exactly right, lest you be cursed. If your God is distant or busy or inattentive, then you try and find whatever means you can of getting his attention. Who is our God? 
What is our God like that it might dictate our prayers? Well, I want to tell you three things about our God that he makes known to us. Three things that ought to shape how we pray. The first is this, our God is the God who made everything. And he's not only the God who made everything, he's the God who still rules over everything. Do you remember Revelation 4.11? Who's done two ways to live in the last little while? Who remembers it? Revelation 4.11? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they exist and have their being. This is true all through scriptures. God is the one who rules over this world. It happened in the Old Testament. Chronicles chapter 29, write this one down, you can look it up later. Chronicles 29 verse 10, as David was praying, this is what he said. David blessed the Lord in the sight of the assembly and he said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, the majesty. Why? For everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Jesus himself, as he was praying, addressed God exactly like that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have revealed these things to me. Our God is the God who sustains every last little bit of creation, moment to moment, purely by his will. He wants us to continue to exist, and so we do. I'll tell you what, that matters a lot for your prayers, doesn't it? Because it means that the being you are praying to is able to answer your prayers. It's not as if there's something that we could ask our God that we are uncertain about whether he can do it or not. He just thinks and the world exists. He can and does do everything. But it also matters because our God isn't just able to do everything, but our God is able to act personally. He is a being. He is a he who wants to know his creation and wants to act in his creation. It's not, I'll tell you what, these days it seems to be all the rage to get into the new agey kind of force and mysticism and powers and connect with the spirits and somehow balance the energies and we can make things happen and the healing and the crystals if we get the stones just right. And if we, Our God is a person who sustains the universe by his own thoughts. What's the first thing we need to know about the God we pray to? He is the creator, he is the ruler. The second is, if anything, even more remarkable. Come to Matthew chapter 7, the second reading we had. Come to Matthew chapter 7. This is a very, very big idea and a wonderful idea. Matthew chapter 7. The second thing we need to know about God is that he is Father. In fact, he is our Father. What an astonishing idea. Look, let me read it to you again, just little bits of it. Ask, Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 7, it will be given, seek, you will find, knock, the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives, one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be open. Here's an idea, he says to you, who among you, if his son asks for bread, gives him a rock. If his son asks for fish, gives him a snake. 
Right? You, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your father... Hang on. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What an incredible idea. Now, the relationship that matters is the relationship between Jesus and God. Jesus is the one who says to God, you are my father. And God says to Jesus, you are my son. That is the relationship where the son asks the father and the father delights in giving good things to the son. And you and I, because we are united to Jesus, share that relationship. And it's true, isn't it? We know how to give good things. As parents, we see our children. We've got five of them now. I'm hungry seems to be a very common refrain in my house, particularly from the four-year-old boy. He said to Edwina the other day, you can't fill me up, can you? So he's just always, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And when he comes and asks and he says, can I have some food? I don't say, yes, go outside and lick a rock, right? That's just not the answer you give. If he comes and says, I want a ham sandwich, you don't say, yeah, fine, here, catch, and throw him a snake. Of course not. Yes, have your ham sandwich. Be filled. Have good things. And we are limited, imperfect. God is pure and light and good and perfection. And he says, as your father, I want to give you good things. Now, I tell you, this matters because it helps us understand that God isn't just able to act, but God is willing to act. He wants to answer prayer. He wants to give good things in response to his children asking. He is a good father, we read in Ephesians 3.20, who is more willing to give than we are even to think of, let alone ask. Our limitation means that the things we can think of to ask are these little things. And God's up there. He's like, I'm prepared to give big things. You don't even think of them. Who is it that we pray to? We pray to the one who's the creator and the ruler of all. We pray to the one who's the father, who loves us, his children, and wants to give good things. And thirdly, we pray to a God who lives in us, the indwelling God. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we read, The same way the Spirit of God that indwells in us helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. The God we pray to is a God who is near. In fact, he's that near that he lives in us and with us. He helps us to pray. There's no Baal here. We're not praying to a God who is seated on his throne in heaven far from us such that he can't even hear us over the clamour of all the other voices. We pray to the God who has sent his spirit to live within that as we pray, he knows, he hears, he even intercedes. Can I just point out this means that we don't need help in prayer? I grew up in a Roman Catholic country. Argentina is 98% Roman Catholic and, and full-on serious Roman Catholic. I had friends who would go on pilgrimages where they would travel for kilometres on their knees carrying a statue, thinking that somehow that would make this saint willing to listen to them so that that saint might then intercede to God for them. 
This is no Baal. We don't need to prance around and cut ourselves or somehow find the right magic formula that will get God to pay attention to us. God, by his spirit, lives in you so that when you pray, he's there, he knows. By the way, if if you ever find yourself seeking help, a saint or something to intercede, then can I just point out that what you're doing is calling God a liar? I just want to point that out because God is the one who says he is near you. God is the one who says he wants to hear you and he will listen and he loves and he answers and his spirit intercedes. And if you say to God, I think someone else needs to intercede between us, then you're telling God that his word is not enough. Don't insult him that way. Who is it that we're praying to? We're praying to the God who's the creator, he's the ruler, he's our loving father, he dwells within us by the spirit. There's another little key to understanding prayer. And that is we have to understand ourselves. We need to start by understanding God, but we need to know who it is that is doing the praying. And I'll tell you what, this picture here in Matthew chapter 7 is not particularly flattering, but it's very powerful. Because in Matthew chapter 7, who are we? I mean, God is the Father. Who are we? We're the child. We're the little one who comes to his father and says, I'm, I'm hungry. We're the little one who comes to his father and says, help. We're that little one who comes to her father and says, I, I need you. It's the, the most basic of necessities. I can't do it without you. I, I've got two babies in the house right now. And my babies are six weeks old. Sorry, you're going to get a lot of my kids today. Partly, I guess, that shows you where my mind is at. But it's also the picture that we're working with today. My babies only have one form of communication. It doesn't matter what they need. It doesn't matter what they want. They have one way of making themselves known. Can you guess what that is? Go on, give me a demonstration. All right, very good. Joe, jo, thank you. That was, that was, uh, that was brilliant. Your one form of communication. (laughs) All they can do is cry out. Actually, they have got a couple of little different sounds they make. When they're hungry, they cough. All of my children have done that. (coughs) Uh, Excuse me. (coughs) I'm ever so slightly parched. (coughs) I I added the words. They just do the coughing, right? But but, but it it blows into full-blown, right? And the kids all come and why are the babies crying and someone get in there? But it works. They cry out for help. And help comes. They need feeding, so they get plugged in. They they have a burp, so they get held up. They've done something at the other end, so they get cleaned up. They Do you see yourself like that? It struck me how helpless they are. They can't move their heads intentionally. They just lie there. And then every now and then they just kind of flop around a bit. And then they need something, so they cry. Is, is that your picture of yourself? How often don't we pray because what we have convinced ourselves, in fact, what the sin of our world has convinced us of, is the idolatry from the sin of the very first day, I can do it alone. I don't need God. I'm, I'm an adult now. I can hold my head up proud, I can, I can talk, I can... 
I can do the things that I need to do on my own. I don't need God. How often and how easily we forget Jesus saying, let the little children come to me, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. What a danger it is. I can do it without you. And really, if we say that, what we are doing is we aren't worshipping God anymore. We're not giving him his worth. We're caught up in idolatry that thinks that I don't need God. Let me tell you, if you ever think to yourself that you don't need God, then, well, are you fighting against sin in your life? Because if you're engaged in the struggle against sin in your life, I'm pretty sure you'll realise how much you need God. Have you been praying for someone who's not a Christian to be saved? Because if you've been praying that prayer, you know how much you need God. Can you make your life last by one more day? No. Without God, we are nothing. But with God, we are beloved children. Who is God? He's the creator, the ruler, he's our father, he's the indweller. Who are we? We are his beloved children. But we are children. We need him. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? That's the who. If we get that right, I think if we get that right, if you walk away with just that, that's at the start of the sermon, so if you're going to remember anything, remember that bit. If you get that right, I think the rest will flow out. Why do we pray? I've got three reasons for why do we pray. I hope you're taking notes, by the way. Why do we pray? Well, number one, very simply, because God tells us to. That's why we pray. God says pray. Right? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 verse 6. Paul writes, as he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Pray. Pray about everything. Pray always. Be thankful as you pray, but make sure that instead of worrying and getting caught up in fear, you're going before God and saying, please help me. Pray. So why should you pray? God tells you to. That's the first simplest answer. Which also means, by the way, that if you're not praying, stop sinning. And start praying. Your God has told you to pray, so pray. Mind you, God is kinder than that, though. It's not just, you must do this. Here's the second reason why we pray. It's because God invites us to partner with him. God invites us to join in his work by praying. A fascinating little verse, just a couple of pages before in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul writes to the church in Philippians 1.19, and he says, I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How is it that their prayers are going to save Paul? Well, it's because consistently through the Scriptures, God invites his people to participate in God's work by praying. God wants to do good things as a response to our prayers. A couple of classic examples come to my mind. You think of Abraham with the angel of the Lord before Sodom and Gomorrah. God came and said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy that town. And Abraham said, please don't. What if there's a bunch of righteous people in there? And God said, okay, I will act in response to your prayer. 
In fact, Abraham managed to, to whittle him down to just five righteous people. And in the end, though God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he did rescue the righteous one that he could find. Moses on Mount Sinai. Do you remember Israel had built the golden calf? They'd committed idolatry even in the moment when God was forming them into his people. And Moses comes down the mountain and he's just fired up at them and throws the stone tablets down and huffs back up the mountain again. And God says, that's it, I'm wiping them all out and I'm going to start again with you. And Moses prayed, please don't. Remember your word, remember your promises, remember who you are. And God said, okay, I'll just wipe a bunch of them out, but we'll keep most of them. God acts. God is willing to and able to and wants to and invites us to partner with him. Isn't that an incredible thought? That the one who created the world and sustains it wants to do good in response to you asking for it. that he's more willing to do good in response to us asking than we do. Prayer, in other words, matters. How much blessing do we miss out on because we don't ask? You don't have, James says, because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Why should we pray? Because God tells us to, because God invites us to partner. And thirdly, and very simply, because God uses prayer to grow us. Each time you stop and pray, what you are doing is working out your faith muscle a little bit. It's a little workout as God teaches you to depend upon him. All right, who do we pray to? We pray to God, who's the creator, the father, the indweller. We pray as his children. Why? Because he tells us to because he invites us to partner with him, because it's good for us. What then should we pray? What should we ask for as we are praying? Now, you really just go and read Matthew chapter 6 again, right? That's, that's the model. There's the thing to teach you. Do you want a summary of it? Here's a summary of it. What we ought to pray is God's heart. What we ought to pray for is the things that God wants. Why? Because we are worshippers, because all that we have is given to him including our desires. We want our heart to be moulded on his heart. We want our desire to be what he desires. And so Jesus teaches them, right? Matthew chapter 6, what do you pray for? You pray for God to be glorified. You pray for God's kingdom to come. You pray for God's will to be done. You want God to be the one who receives the honour and the glory. You want God's people to be grown. You want the lost to be saved. We want Jesus to return and bring about the kingdom that will last forevermore. Mind you, it's not wrong to ask for the things that we need. As Jesus teaches in that same prayer, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us into holiness, don't bring us into temptation. That could be your homework for this week. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day, each week. Now, it's worth pointing out, of course, that sometimes God answers yes to prayers. In fact, there are some prayers that God has promised he will answer yes. The prayer for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus through faith in his death, God always answers yes. There are some times when God will answer no, though. Now, kids ask for the weirdest things at times. 
They really do. You just don't know where it comes from, what's going on in their little head, but they come and ask for that. And sometimes you have to say no to it, astonishing as it might sound. Right? My four-year-old wants a chainsaw. No. I'll buy you a pickaxe instead. Right? Like that's... I did. It was only a little pickaxe. It's okay. He's only four. Some things are bad for us. Can we eat ice cream every meal today? Would it be fun or briefly? Would it be good for you? No. We have to say no. We have to trust. So a fresh start for us. Now, look, I hope that this is a fresh start for you individually. If you haven't been praying, then go say sorry to God. Remember that he forgives you in Jesus. Leave your guilt and the sin in the past and start praying. What about for us as a church? What's a fresh start in prayer look like for us as a church? The early church in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. I'll tell you what, we could do worse than being known as the church that prays. I'd, 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 I'd be very happy for that to be the case. Well, in some ways, for us as a church, is exactly the same as for us as individuals. <laughs> it's born out of who God is. The God who is near to us, who is able to help, who is willing to help. It's born out of us being sinners who need forgiveness and come to our Father because we need help. We pray as a church because God has told us to pray. Because we know that God invites us to partner because it is powerful and effective and God is willing to do so much more. Uh, By the way, that's why we pray every week when we gather together. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. There are a few things that we always do in church. And prayer is one of them. And what is it that we pray together? Well, we want to pray God's heart after him. Now, let me just point out a few of the specific ways that we seek to pray as a church. Now, we are Anglican, and that means that we have a specific form of liturgy, a specific way of doing church together. And so when we pray, we will often pray pre-written prayers that we share in together. There's a power to that, a richness, a depth, a comfort to have these well-thought-out and well-written prayers. So we pray with liturgy, we pray relationally. I love seeing after church people who've had a deep conversation stop and pray together. That recognition that in that moment what we need is God. We pray truthfully. Have you ever told someone you're going to pray for them? You ever done that? I'll I'll pray for you. I'll be praying for you. Did you? We pray structured prayers. So, for example, our prayer nights, the first of which was last Tuesday, if you came along, it was a ripping good night. And uh, and Joe, I'm sure, is going to have the dates for the rest of them for the year for us very soon, aren't you, Joseph? Uh, Yeah, yeah. We get together, we pray. We pray in our small groups. Again, I think this ought to be one of the unmovables. If you're in one of our growth groups, right, you're praying together, praying God's heart after him. And we've initiated a couple of years ago our 316441 cards. Remember those? We've still got a stack of them at the back if you don't have one. Can I encourage you to grab one? And that is to pray John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right, start praying that for four people for one year. Commit yourself to praying for those four people. For people who don't yet know Jesus, for people that you want to come and know him. Prayer is a universal practice. 
all around the world, all across time, all around different cultures. Our fresh start today involves making sure that what we pray is how God has revealed it to us, that we're praying to the right God, that we're praying knowing ourselves rightly, and that we come before him as children to the loving Father, knowing that he loves us, that he wants to give good things, and that he's waiting such that as we pray, he will act. And so we pray with great thankfulness. Let's pray now. What a privilege to come before you, Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and call you Father. What a privilege to come before you, whose hands flung stars into space, and know that you love us, that in the Lord Jesus you have already given us everything in the spiritual realms and even now wait as a loving father to give good to his children. What a privilege. We recognise our own failure and frailty. We're sorry that in our sin so often we are idolaters who think we can do everything without you. Please forgive us. Fix in our hearts and in our minds this vision of who you are and who we are, that our lives would be marked every moment by dependence on you in prayer. Amen.